for December 21st, 2009. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 77. Avatar. Are we human or are we panther? Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject Avatar to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, I am your host, Matthew Rather, and I am here with a special panel to special overthink, special Avatar, in this special all-Avatar, all-the-time Avatar episode of the Avatar Thinking It podcast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, fair warning up front, uh, spoilers for Avatar all the way through. We're not holding anything back. So if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie. You know, pause your iPod, walk directly <laughs> to the movie theater, see it, and then while the credits roll, play it. Because there's no, like, there's no cool little, uh, there's no cool little visual at the end of the credits. Or anything like that. So, uh, you know, just as soon as that god-awful I See You song comes on, um, you know, just uh, put in your earbuds and press play and then start listening to this podcast immediately. Uh, I'm here with a panel of some regulars, some occasional podcasters, and one we have not seen in a while. So let's get right to it. I see you. (laughs) Early in the days of the site, we did six-word reviews of things. And I think if you probably Google overthinking it six-word, you'll see some of them. Uh, My favorite was, I forget who wrote this, uh, was our six-word review of Juno, which was bun on phone, bun in oven. (laughs) That that could have been any of the three of you. I I forget who wrote that. (laughs) But um, let's uh, let's get right to it. Six word reviews of Avatar. Peter Fenzel, I see you. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Cut an hour. Add Tamo Penniket. That's what I stand. I stand by it. Um, is that not how very you clever. Say his name Penniket, or is it Tamo? Tamo Penniket. No, I think it's Tamo. I think it's Tamo. Tamo. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Tamo Peniket is the uh, actor from Battlestar Galactica that I think should get all of Sam Worthington's work because he's better at being an action star. Um, I w- I, so, yeah, just to, by way of explanation, um, I stand by a lot of what I said and wrote in my Five Reasons Why Avatar Will Suck post, which, of course, I had not seen the movie before I wrote. And uh, I add to it the thought that the pacing and the, and the management of the time and uh, the way that the length of the movie was managed was a little bit left a little bit too desired. But there's enough time for me and my sort of grumpiness. Yeah, no, so you, let's, uh, yeah. let's get to that because I, I, I did not have that. I did not have that reaction. But let's uh, OK, let's push on and let's, okay. let's uh, bracket that as we All say. Right. As we say on the uh, on the other podcast, the TFT, these effing teenagers podcast, and uh, my co-host from that, Ryan Sheely, is here. Ryan Sheely, I see you. I see you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you you guys don't see each other. We're doing this audio. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> no, we have a separate video feed. To, to, you know, we we link our tails together and uh, are connected as as host and co-host uh, in our our magical teen sociology bond <laughs> of the other yeah of the other of the other podcast actually other pod- i mean funny story i've been th- i've been looking at ways to live stream this in case anyone wants to listen to the fuster cluck that is us uh recording it live uh but um you know but uh that's that's another story for another day ryan Sheely, six words for avatar 3D is cool. TV is better. 
Whoa. <laughs> because this is why. And this is, I mean, it, I don't I don't agree with Pete. So I actually saw the film with Pete in uh, here in Boston. Um, and Pete, I didn't agree that, you know, the time management was bad and that it was too long. But for reasons we can get into later, I feel like a lot of what the story that James Cameron wanted to tell would have actually been better suited to some sort of uh, serialized uh, fiction, such a, as a a long run television show or um, sure. or or a comic book, and and I think that the payoff, yes, the visuals cool, yes, the three D was cool, but I think that ultimately, uh, to you know really cash out what he wanted to do with this world i i, I think that there's a mis uh, a mismatch between the the goal of making a big big budget 3d spectacle and telling uh telling the story in the best way possible that's, um, a very, that's an interesting uh that's an interesting mm-hmm. question and and you know so la- i think that because that question goes to well what is this story about mm-hmm. I'm uh, sure. all right uh jordan stokes i see you How's it going? I hear you. <laughs> I hear you, which is an improvement. Uh, good to have you back. I, it's always a better podcast when you are on it. I think so, too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I wouldn't know. I only listen to it when I'm on it. So, like, what y'all do the rest of the time is just like... <laughs> Like, really I'm glad. Yeah, I sounded, I sounded great last night. <laughs> the, other, the other occasional podcasters don't listen to the episodes that they're on. They only listen to the ones that uh, uh, that they're not on because they're self conscious about it or something. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm conscious of how awesome I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here it comes. All right, my my uh, my six word review uh, is really a piece of advice to people who might be thinking of seeing it, which is watch but don't learn anything. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, watch it, but don't learn anything. <laughs> you shortchanged us one word there. <laughs> Go watch, but don't learn anything. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, and that's, I think you're talking about the watch. politics. You're talking about the politics of the movie, which is. You know, I'm talking about the politics. I'm also talking about future filmmakers. This shouldn't be a referendum on what the future of filmmaking should be. You know, okay. Don't learn anything there either. Let's get uh, let's let's pick up both of those topics, and then here is here is mine. Uh, Smurfs bone Thundercats. Terminator goes native. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I, uh, I watched it with a, with a friend who said that um, someone she knew has decided that the movie should be retitled "Dances with Smurfs," which I think is pretty good. <laughs> well, that was South Park. South Park did that like two, <laughs> really? three, three weeks ago. They, they, um... South Park did it. South Park did it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I would recommend. It's it's like the South Park episode is called "Dances with Smurfs," and. Uh, <laughs> The first half of it is a takedown on Glenn Beck, and the second half of it is a takedown on Avatar. Um, <laughs> a preemptive yeah. takedown. How do yeah. they stay? How do they stay relevant? In our in our uh, post movie uh, cafe conversation about the movie, um, I did say that I thought the movie was a little bit too Cosner esque, and Ryan said, "Oh, you mean like Dancing with Wolves?" And I was like, "No, more like the Postman." Uh, <laughs> well, like I was in Cup. Yeah. <laughs> That, if we were like Tin Cup, that would be funny. It's like, all right, we need to – don't try to destroy the home tree. Just lay it up on the fairway. Just lay it up on the fairway. Let's, yeah, let's do the, uh, the Kevin Costner movie title game. Um. 
<laughs> well, we didn't talk about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves for a while. Yeah, right. And we talked about that movie's awesome. <laughs> so you guys, you guys have already, you have already had a, a debate, a crossfire style debate on the uh, the merits of Avatar. Well, I mean, our conversation was less about the merits of. Here's what I'm going to say about the merits of Avatar. I feel like there's fair amount of consensus with the people I've talked to and read about what's good and what's bad about Avatar. There's some disagreement, but there's a fair amount of consensus. What differs is how people prioritize these things, mm-hmm. right? Like sure. everybody's like, it's it's a really pretty movie. The 3D effects are, are cool. They're not like going to make me want to watch 3D movies all the time, but they're really cool. Um, you know, the the sort of experience of it as a spectacle is pretty cool. There's some problems with the characterization. There's some problems with the plotting. The politics gets kind of in the vague direction of something you might want to see, but in the end has like a whole bunch of problems. Um, and it's a matter of how you prioritize these things. You know, like, um, like for me, the structure of it for, as a, from a writing perspective is really important. I sort of see movies from the position of a dramatist. Um, and the way that the movie was organized, there wasn't a lot of elegance to the way the story was communicated. There was a lot of wasted time and effort. Now, I don't mean the movie was slow in that it was too long. I meant that there was a lot of extraneous stuff that happened mm-hmm. that didn't bear on what happened that was meaningful in the movie, didn't inform the choices of the characters, um, didn't inform the performances of the actors, and could have just been dispensed with. You could have replaced it with other stuff that did. Um, one, one comparison I came up with was it had a lot of Hulk dog se- sequences. Um, hmm. You want to compare it to like Ang Lee's Hulk. People, uh, one of the criticisms Ang Lee's Hulk gets is that it doesn't get to the point fast enough. And the most egregious ex- ex- um, part of this is about a third or halfway through the movie, Hulk fights a bunch of dogs. And this is not important. Um, it's like the dogs are trying to kill Jennifer Connelly and Hulk fights the dogs. There's a dog fight scene in Avatar that's very similar. And it's these like monster dogs with green eyes that show up and, and not, there hasn't been a lot of action in about 15 minutes. So something needs to happen. Yeah, but and, that's the same. I mean, you know. that's true of every, you know, that's true of every action movie to a certain extent, isn't it? Like that's true of Star Trek from earlier this summer, for example, like why does, why does Kirk need to be chased by, you know, the two, uh, evil monsters on the ice planet Hoth or whatever. Well, that's, that, whatever. Yeah. I have a real, I have a real problem with your comparison there because the Hulk dog sequence in Ang Lee's Hulk is, if you were to take it out of Hulk and have it as a short film, sort of demonstrating the CGI capabilities of the programmers, it would still be terrible because the dogs look <laughs> awful and the, and the action is bad. Yeah. Um, whereas, you, I mean, like, I think that it's a more fair comparison to find some dispensable action scene that's kind of awesome, you know, to, to describe to, uh, you know, what's going on in Avatar. Oh, it is well, how they introduce the the love interest, right? I mean, it plays that mechanical role. Um, in, well, oh my, but oh my plot. god, that, it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. It's like, oh wow, he had a fight with a bunch of dogs and he murdered them. I hate him forever, but I love him also for no reason. Yeah, but it also, I mean, it sets her up. It sets her up as as being sort of a badass because she can, like, you know, she can defeat the she can defeat the dogs. Well, yeah, but you and it introduces that, you know? the uh, the frankly stupid religion and ideology that these uh, <laughs> these you know overdetermined natives are supposed to have, which is yeah. important to the movie. I mean, I think it's dumb, but you can't say that it's gratuitous. Um. Well, the, the the religion of the movie is gratuitous. No, I mean the I think the, uh, that... the religion of the the people, not like yeah. the broader message of the movie, but you know. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that if you if you just if you just stipulate that it's that it's a movie with a particular message, you you can't and and you know bracket for a second the discussion of what that message is. The uh, yeah, you can't you can't have this message without the the religion of the the Smurf cats or the yeah. the Thunder Smurfs. Uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, I- 
Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I mean, I, I feel like I ought to impose or we ought to impose some kind of um, – we ought to impose some kind of structure – on, on. <laughs> you see, this podcast is like a jungle. You know, there's all kinds of vines and creepers and fungi and rhizomes. And you want to come in with your bulldozers and turn it into a, uh, you know, a parking lot where all the topics have like section A1. Now we're going to talk about the cat boobs and section A2. Now we're going to talk about this. <laughs> I do. I do. Really, it's a network. It's a free flowing network of ideas <laughs> that interact with one another. <laughs> That are, like, yeah. I'm sorry, but cloud computing is not morally superior to other kinds of computing. <laughs> <laughs> so it may be, I mean, it may be more like, efficient. It may be more conducive to the general happiness, you know, not that it's not that it's necessarily better. It just may it may work better for certain kinds of things. Well, but general happiness is one of the great arguments against uh indigenous peoples in Pocahontas stories because, you know, the things that you're getting from the New World, hypothetically at least, are supposed to be giving greater aggregate happiness to the larger number of people back in Europe than to the relatively small number of people in in America, right? So it's oh, it, that's one of the things, like, it's okay for us to get the unobtainium or whatever the heck it is because it's going to go cure cancer back home, right? Um, and uh, this is set against a sort of more ontological yeah, idea of I justice. Mean, was, it, was it made clear at all in, in the kind of stakes setting of the movie what the unobtainium and and I got to go with a, a – it wasn't Manola Dargis in the New York Times. It was actually the video game review. It was left to the video game <laughs> review in the New York Times to say, unobtainium, really? <laughs> really? No, uh, they don't even say one word about what it actually yeah, does. Yeah, what, what it actually does. I think in the video yeah. game, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, indicated that it has something to do with like the energy crisis on Earth. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but anyway, so unup unobtainium. Okay, fine. Uh, so we don't know anything about what it what it does on Earth. It just might make these guys some money. Yeah, yeah. that's literally what they say. It's, it's expensive, mm-hmm. and that's the only that's the best part about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, James Cameron does us the courtesy of removing any meaningful dramatic motivation from half the people in the movie. Well, that's I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like. This this was my problem with the writing. Like I'm not I'm not sure that I disagree. I I don't, I don't know. I think that that saying that the pacing is bad is is like uh, Belinky saying that Glee is written in a lazy way, right? Like like it promises you something and then it deliver delivers it. And like how is that you know how has it failed you in that you know in that respect? But um, what. Uh, what is the <laughs> oh god what well here let me let me let me, let me finish what i said before i mean yes the kirk running down the snow being chased by the snow monster is definitely a hulk dog scene but yeah. i tend to really like it in action movies when they have action sequences that aren't hulk dog scenes and there is a demand in an action movie that every 15 minutes or so you need to have some sort of action sequence and for me a lot of the pleasure and craft and skill of putting an action movie together is informing those action sequences in a way that has to do with character and and what the movie's about and the plot um i compared uh avatar to constantine unfavorably uh when i was talking to ryan um because constantine starts out with an action sequence that explains to you just via the action sequence itself who the characters are what's going on in the world like what sort of expectations that you should have right like in constantine the first scene you have is is counter reeves and it might not be the very first scene but this is how i remember it counter reeves uh, has to go to a small mexican village to extract a demon from a little girl right and you sort of see that he's noirish you sort of see he's a wanderer and you see that he uses these occult devices to fight this demon he catches the demon in a mirror he shatters the mirror you get a sense for the stakes you see cool special effects you see 
his sort of compassion and his what how he's sort of heroic and how he isn't heroic. Um, and all of this stuff is accomplished while you're having the action sequence. What Avatar does is it takes like 20 minutes to explain to you directly, like with words, what is happening in the movie. And then it has action sequences that don't do anything. If it were a, a better movie, it would tell you more in the action sequence about what the characters are doing, who they are, what this world is, right? Uh, and but you I disagree have- with you on that, that, uh, okay. that Avatar doesn't do these things. I would say if you compare Avatar to, say, King Kong, uh, the Peter Jackson King Kong, which in many ways is a very similar movie in concept, in that they're going into this, you know, it could, it's an island, it could be another planet, where everything is sort of mysterious and cool-looking, and most of it is trying to kill you. And that one really dragged on, because you'd go from place to place on the island, and oh, look, now the, now the bugs are trying to kill them, and now the crocodiles in the river are trying to kill them, and so on like that. Whereas, actually, if you go through the action scenes in Avatar, are. I mean, maybe they didn't do this to your satisfaction, but I do think that that early scene with the dogs is important to sort of tell you that his training as a Marine does not equip him to survive on this planet. Her training as a sort of sexy, exotic symbol of native culture uh, equips her to survive on the planet. And the, uh, also, oh, sorry, finish, sorry. No, no, that's enough. I was just going to say that I think it also shows that his training, it also shows that his training as a Marine equips them better than the, the, the scientists training as science, scientists equip them to, to survive. Because even though he was, you know, kind of getting schooled by the dogs, like the scientists probably would have been like dog food already. You know, they would have been, you know, Purina, Purina, Blue <laughs> Puppy Chow. Uh, well, it's totally like, you know, like his, his kind of swashbuckling... Uh, that's not what it is. He doesn't really buckle his swashes. His his kind of you know. I don't think those blue things have swashes. <laughs> <laughs> to buckle. Um, yeah, his uh, his training as a marine provides him a way into the culture anyway because uh, because the the kind of warrior like yeah you know d- uh, tendencies of a trained marine you know or a marine in his soul or you know whatever. Um, uh, at least is at least rhymes with the kind of uh, hunting culture that the blue people have, right? Whereas well, whereas the scientists like they, you know what the blue people don't have uh, science, right? They have yeah. mysticism. Yeah, but they have they have like a certain other kind of of knowledge, right? So it's if they they sort of yeah maybe they don't have the like you know molecular and chemical pro- uh, processes of you know how the mother tree works but they know that it works right they they have this this uh they have knowledge um even if it's not defined in the kind of knowledge power structure of of science they know it be- they know it better than the scientists do right um and it's interesting. That the, uh, there's kind of a hierarchy that's set up. Like the highest thing is to know from your soul, from your heart, and that's what the native people have. Um, the lowest thing is like to know from your mind, and that's what the scientists. And even though like the the corporate guys and the army guys are set up in opposition to the scientists, they're still kind of approaching the world with that setup. And then kind of mediating between yeah. the two is like a kinesthetic um, knowledge of the body, right? Which is what allows right. him to be accepted right. into their culture. No, right. And I think so. That's kind of the argument that is is put up is is that that is you know like it, it's it's almost like defense of a certain kind of soldiering right this kind of kinesthetic knowledge and how being a effective soldier you do learn how to quickly assess your environment and quickly sort of make decisions and move within it in a way that purely the purely kind of 
you know, cerebral um, or tactical, uh, um, you know, knowledge of either the scientists or the the sort of um, more commanding officers lack, right? So, I, I mean, I thought that was there's a sense of yeah, there's a sense of instinct, right? Right, and and I think that the early, so I actually thought that the early um, scenes like established that well i mean i i don't disagree with pete that if they had opened with an action sequence like pete last night mentioned that maybe they could have you know it would have been better if if they had opened with him in the avatar body and then sort of you know had an action scene that sort of provided these things but i mean i really thought like the the initial things that you know he's paralyzed um and you know his brother is dead his brother was the scientist he's the stupid marine you know they they were they hit you over the head with it a little bit and Sigourney Weaver's like, Hey Marine, why are you so stupid, Marine? <laughs> <laughs> but the brother, does, the brother never comes back. Like there's nothing about the brother for the rest of the movie. Right? Like it's oh, but one there's the a first- symbolic Right. At the beginning, he's stepping into his brother's shoes. Right. And they have that line like yeah. one life ends, another life begins. And then at the end, when he sort of gives up his human body for a life as an awesome, you know, sexy cat person, it's the same <laughs> move. Right. Like <laughs> That he's giving another birthday. Well, but he doesn't talk about his brother at that point. Like, it's no, not, but like, it doesn't seem yeah, like but it rhymes. I, have to I mean, spell it out for you? I think the movie's what? too smart for you in this case. <laughs> Oh, oh, don't do that. I am being nice to you guys because you guys are spouting a lot of bullshit. This is a very poorly plotted. <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. Language. 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 I think this is personal. Sorry. Don't make clearly, me don't make gang up on clearly, me with my brain gang. Like, uh, clearly when I say the movie is too smart for you, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Like, the movie is pretty dumb. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I it mean, does, like, I mean, okay, yeah, the first act is too long, Pete. Like, that's your, that's, that's the complaint, right? No, I, the, I say the first act is wasted. Too much of the first act is wasted. Uh, like, you could, you could cut it out because it's wasted. You don't need to cut it off just because it's too long. You can fill two and a half hours with movie. I mean, I think comparing it to King Kong is, like, is missing something because this wasn't a movie that's supposed to be compared to King Kong. This is a movie that's supposed to be paired, compared to Star Wars. You know, this is supposed to be, like, the great, awesome, totally wonderful movie, you know? The, the, the earth-shattering, game-changing sci-fi epic. I mean, this is the guy who made Terminator. You know, I don't want to compare it to, like, the Chronicles of Riddick. You know what I mean? Like, when I'm talking about it being disappointing, I guess, I mean, I guess I had a part in this in lowering expectations, and I talked about this with Ryan, too. Like, the main reason I wrote my post about Avatar sucking is to lower my expectations for the movie so that I didn't feel like it was going to be amazingly awesome, so that when I watched it, I had a chance of enjoying it. And I did enjoy it. I had fun watching it. Um, Pat, you just got censored. (laughs) Oh, I did? Skype censored you, I think. Um, no, I got. Oh, I, I got Skype censored. It, it, no, uh, you came through to you came through to me. Uh, anyway. Then I, I got censored. Then I got put in the cone of silence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I mean, I don't know. It's it's um. I, just, I mean, when you think about the fact that he has, like, for me, when you introduce these facts about these characters, and it might be a bias that comes out of improv scene building, um, that the the things that you introduce about a character first um, are really, really important and should. Um, be important to that character throughout the course of the movie, and you should pick them very carefully, right? So the first things that we learn about this guy is that he has a dead brother and he's paralyzed from the waist down, and and that's I important. Feel like while I think that's important. <laughs> I feel like it's important to to justify the movie, but I don't think that they are they are that it develops his character or informs why he makes the decisions well, he makes. I mean, that's an interesting question. Is the is the paralysis from the waist down metaphorical for something? Yeah, yeah. Like, and to what degree is he paralyzed? I guess. Mm. Maybe it's maybe at this point his sort of awakening in Ferngully is is so cliche that it didn't register for me, you know. That maybe like I should 
I should have been more energized by him sort of like running around in the forest. Um, but at this point, that that didn't really maybe maybe my, I'm desensitized to that at this point as, as a sort of meaningful expression of character. Um, but you know, like like the scene, like for example, the one time it does come back is near the end of the movie. He is offered his legs back, right? Like he said, and it's the most probably the most important dramatic moment for him in the movie. If you were to just sort of map out the character as an arc independently of how he's actually filmed, which is actually, most, I mean, and yeah, that's 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 not trivial. I mean, you should emphasize yeah. that even a little bit more because, like, this is the reason uh, by not being a miniseries, this is a movie about this guy. You know, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's mm-hmm. the hero of this movie, and right, so right, he right. he's got a. You know, he, you you live and die with with this character, and so whether this character is successful or not is a you know is a non trivial issue. Yeah, yeah, and so like um, the moment where the colonel offers him his legs back and he says no, um, that move that moment felt like to me it wasn't as important as it needed to be. Um, that I didn't see as much of him mm. in that moment. He kind of dismissed it too casually because he he traveled six years frozen in ice to get the opportunity to walk again, right? You know, like or not an ice, but in like an ice chamber, cryogenic stasis, whatever the heck he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, like, like this is something that's supposedly very important to him. And then there's this sort of throwaway scene where he's just kind of sitting there. He's like, "Nah, you know, I, I really, I mean, I signed a contract to do this job, and I really should do the job." Now we know, and we can infer because we can judge the values of the movie, and we can put it on top of that moment that really he's in love with Natiri, and he wants to be with the Navi, and all this other stuff. But I don't think that all that stuff that we know about the movie is actually present in that moment from a performance standpoint and a writing standpoint. Um, like, we have to make excuses for it and rationalize it, because I don't think when you're watching that scene, like, all that stuff is really urgently present in, in what Sam Worthington is doing on camera. Right, and that's, uh, yeah, um, that's a failure of writing, and that's a failure of acting. Right. Now, of course, this is a very fine pine that I'm cutting, and I've set a very... Like I said, I'm glad I'm a social scientist, because I can just enjoy movies. Like... <laughs> 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 yeah, but I'm, I'm glad. I, I you see, I'm glad I'm not a Ryan. I'm glad I I'm not a social scientist because I can enjoy my vacation to the third world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we talk about this? Can we can, uh, can, can we talk about the uh, uh, what I would actually say is the worst part of the movie for me, which is the ridiculous racism. Um, <laughs> Let's bracket that. Let's let let's okay, bracket let's that bracket the racism. Let's bracket. Oh yeah. By the way, the movie's really racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, yeah. Let's let's um. No, no. Let's let's just hold on to that for a second because let's let's work through this because I think this is this is important because this question is what is this actually a movie about? What does it purport to yeah. be about? What does it set out to be about? And what does it actually end up being about? And so you know. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Pete, like, uh, okay, yeah, fa- fair enough. I also, I mean, the, the characters who aren't cardboard cutouts, uh, and, you know, most of them, Giovanni Ribisi is a cardboard cutout, uh, Judge Dredd, or whatever the hell his name is, is a cardboard cutout. I liked him. <laughs> yeah, he was my favorite part of the movie, I think. <laughs> I was rooting for him. <laughs> are you, are you no. being facetious when you say that? No, no. I mean, I think it's a great. Who is that filmmaker who said that it's hard to make an anti-warm film because film makes war look so awesome? 
him. Uh, like I, I, I was definitely rooting for that guy, partially because I was so freaking bored with what was happening to the the aliens and their sort of bizarre, uh, twisted remembrance of Native American like spirituality. But uh, I don't know. I, I should step away for a bit and cool off so I can I can engage more uh, more sincerely with what you guys are talking. Yeah, about. but there's no. I mean, talk about. Talk about a character that doesn't make any sense on a on a human level, or like what you know. What are his, what are, uh, you know, what are his motivations, right? Like, I, killing. He's a, you know, there's a. <laughs> well, here's the thing. He's in the business of terror. Yeah, yeah. He's got a handful of he's got a handful of mechanized armor, and he's going to make it rain down bullets upon the Navi. <laughs> this is uh, actually speaking of mechanized armor. That's one that I'll give you, Pete. Like mechas suck. Right. Yeah. Like, because. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Because, you know, like Jurassic Park told us that Jeeps are really effective in this kind of situation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, here, let me let me read to you my paragraph. Let yeah. me read you my paragraph from my article where I talked about this. Okay, I said, yeah. to top it off, the dumbest of power armors is the exoskeletal power armor of the sort that has been featured in the buzz generating teaser material for Avatar. Because, you know, nobody is going to shoot or direct smashitude at the part of your automated steel battlesuit that is either glass or totally exposed, right? If they did, you would want to encase it in something that would offer you meaningful protection, and that would be too smart. And I feel like that, that is definitely, like, very important. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I, can't, I can't disagree on that one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but Pete, the, I mean, the idea is that these, are, these machines are designed to fight, you know, hunter-gatherers with, with bows and arrows. You know, they're not, they're not designed to fight uh, machine guns. They you seem know. to be very poorly suited to handling bows and arrows, considering that arrows go through them. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. you can... I don't know, but I think they also seem like like designed to deal with like the wildlife, also, right? I mean, um, it's it's unclear, right? And and this is all like it's unclear whether the fr- like whether they even know how like much of a problem the sort of indigenous people uh, the ind- indigenous humanoids would be uh or whether they thought well we want to have this like you know moving armor uh, armor suits because there's these big dinosaurs uh on the, these big these big uh animals on the uh yeah. on this so so, so right, uh, yeah, like jeeps suck but you know what doesn't suck tanks Right. And like Pete's point in in the five reasons Avatar will suck article. And if you haven't read it, listeners, I encourage you to Google uh, five reasons Avatar will suck and will be the first uh, will be the first Google hit for that. Um, Right. Uh, Is that like, you know, here on Earth, we have this fantastic thing called the wheel and that it turns out is better than walking uh, for getting. Yeah, those tanks worked awesome in Vietnam. Like, well, you know what? They worked really well in the Argen forest. All right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think though that um, like, the the symbolic value of the power armor. The, the scene yes. at, right at the end yeah. that kind of worked for me, uh, yeah. where you have you know the, uh, Sam Worthington in his Avatar body fighting the uh, Judge Dread in his piece of power armor, is that they're both of them using bodies that aren't their own. Right, yeah, and you have the, the mechanical cool. body going up against the. I mean, if you step on this too hard, it doesn't really work because clearly the avatar is the product of science, right? But you're meant to think of it as an organic, mystical body, and the mystical body wins. So yeah, I mean, from a practical point of view, yes, power armor is pretty stupid. But I remember, um, I remember watching Star Tri- Starship Troopers with somebody who got really, really mad because the soldiers would get around in like a big circle around the bugs and shoot into the middle at the bugs. And he was like, <laughs> they would be shooting each other in the face. This movie is terrible. They would be shooting each other in the face. And I thought like, I mean, he's not wrong, but that's yeah. not why they chose to have them do that. You know, and I feel like the power armor should be seen in a similar light. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, on one hand, if they just dug a trench around the home tree <laughs> and put a bunch of machine guns in it, there's no way that they would, the Navi would have ever defeated them in combat. But, I mean, and, and you know, the, the, <laughs> but, I mean, this is, I guess you have to have a movie, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I mean, well, that's a good, that's a good point, because at a certain level, you just don't have a movie. Like, once, you know, you know what I mean? One thing, once, one once thing that I don't believe... One thing I don't believe about this movie is that the Navi win. Like, I don't believe that for a second. Like, yeah. like every single one of them is slaughtered, like, except for the protagonist and, like, one other person. Now, they have he's reinforcements. He's going to bone a lot of ladies. I, this is my <laughs> – he's going to repropagate via the Navi. He's, there's a lot of, With a human, lot of, yeah, no, a no, lot no, of exactly. sexy cat smurf boning. And his <laughs> – um, his uh, his human DNA that's in his avatar, right? Because the avatars right. are a combination of Navi and human DNA, will spread throughout the Navi race, right? And uh, create a super race of uh, cat smurf humans. Uh, that- <laughs> what, what, what exactly do we bring to that eca- uh, equation? <laughs> Genitals. <laughs> I, I think I was bring apparently is the ability to do anything effective at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting for braid sex, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah me I was too. At, I, right. I was waiting for braid tentacle sex. Pete, let's go through your. Um, let's go through your uh, uh, five objections. Uh, oh, okay. right. all right. We, fair so enough. we did number four, which is giant power armor sucks. Let's backtrack to number five. Um, uh, avatars suck, right? Yeah. And I think that Jordan Jordan touched on this, right? Which is that, like, when you have an avatar, a representation of yourself online, like, there's a tendency to think of that as, like, your real person, but it kind of isn't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and it's also kind of a stupid belief to think that it is. And so Sam Worthington has this avatar that's a machine, right? And it's a machine that he inhabits, his consciousness inhabits through some sort of radio broadcast or whatever, like infrared band broadcast thing. But he thinks of it as this representation of himself, right? And that there's, there's a shoddiness there. And there's like a, a sort of, well, I mean, I guess a misconception. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think about the actual avatar? Do you think that that is like a cool thing to, to be able to do and to have? Or is it sort of an unnecessary layer in the story? I mean, I guess it's important, but... Um, well, the the I mean, there are a lot of ways to. Um, I mean, one implication is there are a lot of ways, that there are a lot of ways yeah. to go to go at this. Like, what do I yeah. think of them as a creation of of computer graphics? They were they were yeah. amazing, right? Like right. the scene, the first one that sealed it for me was when he he runs outside the compound and is sifting dirt through the toes yeah. of yeah. his avatar, and it looked like photo real dirt, and I just totally bought the the big blue. You know the big blue, um, uh, the big blue feet. Uh, I, yeah. Oh, also, you know what? Something something that has never quite been done, and that was done okay in this movie, was the difference in scale because the avatars are supposed mm-hmm. to be ten feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and this is something that the Lord of the Rings just didn't quite get right. Right? Like they they used a lot of perspective tricks. They had, uh, you know, they had a group of little people uh, as stand-ins for Elijah Wood at Alia. Um, and still, it just didn't look right when the tiny little hobbits like jump jump on Gandalf. But the scene at the end, when Hot Catwoman is uh, is like cradling Sam Worthington's actual human Sam Worthington, and like you pull back, 
And, and, and he goes yeah. like, you know, I see you. And she goes, I see you. And you see how much bigger she is yeah. than him. Like that yeah. actually, I, I bought that totally. And I was like, wow. Right. Like they mm. are, they exist in like a totally different scale. And that was, that was, uh, achieved successfully. All the, um, all the articles, all the press has been about, and this is telling, I think has been about, uh, either the CG or else the fact that they got a linguist to make up a, an indigenous <laughs> language. <laughs> right? And I cannot count the number of like alternative newsweekly or magazine cover stories or like newspaper articles or online articles that are, you know, uh, interviews with this guy who's a linguist at USC or something like that, who, um, you know, who, uh, who did this, who, who invented the, uh, the cat people language and was there on set, like making up cat people words as they <laughs> went along. And like, there were stories like, uh, yeah, I was there and I had like, uh, I had 20 minutes to come up with the cat word for, you know, but. Or something, you know, I don't know. and like you know, that's something that your PhD program in linguistics just doesn't prepare you for. Yeah. <laughs> you have twenty words to invent the blue cat word for butt. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but I mean, okay, I mean, were they were they successful? I mean, were they successful in in terms of the story? Were they successful in terms of the aims of creating a? Uh, uh, like a mystical race of other people. I don't know that. I don't know. What, I do think do that think? Um, the the movie. I've got a bunch of problems with it politically, and we can talk about that later on, and philosophically as well. But it's remarkably consistent, and I mean, considering the kind of big budget spectacular it is, remarkably consistent about what it's trying to do. And I think mm-hmm. that the point of the avatars there is. Um, do you guys know what sometimes is called the homunculus argument? In terms of the philosophy of like um, of, of consciousness, um, that any argument that uh, demands, as Wikipedia puts it, that you imagine a little homunculus sitting up inside your head, looking out through your eyes, is a failed argument, right? It hasn't accounted for how consciousness actually works. I think that the point of the avatars in the movie because, is that wait for- because because it's turtles all the way down. Exactly. Yeah. You have to then posit another homunculus in his head and so on. I think the point of uh, the avatars in the movie is that for most of the movie, uh, Sam Worthington is the homunculus and then he's got his body and these are considered separate. Right. And then what he manages to do through, you know, hippy dippy magic at the end is sort of go from being the homunculus to being the actual body. So the message there is that you shouldn't separate your mind from the sort of physical aspect of uh, of your reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a movie. It's against what? Against Cartesian dualism or something? Yes, like this, right? yes, like, strongly against. And there's yeah. there's another way that that plays up that I'll bring up later on. But we should we should come to that organically. So you know. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, reason three: cats with human boobs suck. Granted, moving on. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could. Uh, yeah, we want to. You you want to unpack this one, Ryan? No, but no. I think there's a bigger thing, and we can get back to this at another point. But I mean, I this is the one that I agree with the most. Um, I mean, it, or even just in general. Yeah. I, I I just think the these. It just wasn't imaginative enough, you know. For as much credit as this, as this visionary, creative uh, idea is, in trying to like, 
create a sort of humanoid, uh, you know, another humanoid race. They, they ultimately, I mean, I guess this gets back to my racism argument. Like they ended up just like making the, like making them a kind of pastiche of kind of, uh, every like of a variety of indigenous peoples the world around like a little bit of like uh native american a little bit of like south american uh indigenous a little bit of like african uh a little bit of like east asian uh hill peoples um and it just really like i guess it was like an an uncanny cultural valley for me right so that like it wasn't it, it, it was like so they were saying like these are these people are like these creatures are humanoid like they're not humans um Yet, by making them seem so much like sort of actual indigenous peoples, the implication is like indigenous people in 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 the world and on Earth are themselves humanoid. They're like human, but they're not human. <laughs> right. Um, right. Does that make right, sense? Right. <laughs> um, I mean, in, cer- so- in certain ways, like the, yeah, the Navi live more like real humans that we've known in certain ways than like the crazy space people do. Right. Well, right. They, mean, like, yeah. yeah. They live in trees and they like they eat animals. <laughs> and, well, and, like, I, I think, and I think like the the sexiness was like the like why why would they make out? There is no reason for them to make out. <laughs> like like it, it just is ridiculous. Like if they're this like crazy, like they're they're not different. I mean, and I guess that's part of the point. But the, I mean, then you don't make them a- aliens. I mean, it's just really it's just this really like anthrocentrism basically. Right, like when, so okay, imagine a imagine a. Um... Uh, imagine a different movie where humans had colonized that planet and found no sentient life on it, but had yeah. found this amazing – or it's not a planet. I guess it's a moon because we always see blue Jupiter in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay, had, had found this moon and had settled on this moon, not colonized because there were no sort of indigenous sentient uh, you know, beings on it, just uh, kind of lower lower fauna and plants, and manage to make life, and hundreds of years pass, and they become kind of the natives of, of this place, and then, right, like, uh, then the corporate humans come and try to displace this native population who, over the course of uh, 200 years or something, have, you know, become part of the vast network of Awa, right? You know, that's called, that's called Lost. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. That is exactly yeah, no. what Lost is. Yeah. Uh, spoiler um, alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, right. You know. Imagine. Right. Imagine that movie. You know. Yeah. And, and that. Yeah, like, or... And that. I don't. I don't see what we gain by making mm-hmm. them cats with mm-hmm. boobs. Right. Yeah. Or I mean, if you really want it to be, like, you could have something that is um, humanoid, but like the way that they're humanoid is only in that they are sentient, right? So, like, I would have loved... I, I, I thought... I, I would think it would have been a lot cooler if it had been sentient jellyfish. Um, like, for sentient floating jellyfish. That, like, actually, that's not... You know, I, I don't know if you just pulled that out of your ass, but, like, isn't it, isn't it funny? And this was a point that I think the Times Review made, that everything looked like a Jacques Cousteau documentary, Right. Like it looks like and this is James Cameron, who does a lot of stuff in submarines and like scuba diving and things like this. And like he's and did the abyss. Right. He's big into underwater stuff. And I told Pete that that it reminded me of the first third, especially reminded me of the life aquatic. Um, (laughs) I I mean, the abyss is probably the better reference, but it actually reminded me tremendously of the life aquatic, which was like probably among but i guess before darjeeling limited was like everyone's least favorite wes anderson movie and then he went and did 
you know, Bill Murray uh, uh, a favor. But um, I really like <laughs> the Life Aquatic, and I and I really like uh, Avatar. <laughs> well, that's I mean, like Avatar is like the Life Aquatic, except for except for one thing. Instead There's of like, no hipster, <laughs> uh, instead of one big boat scene. You know where you where you pan and track all over the uh, an elevator up and down through this gigantic boat set. There are like fifty scenes like that. You know where yeah. you you go through this this set, and it, I mean they're not real. They're all you know they're all digital. They're like two people standing in front of a green screen in <laughs> CCH Pounder and Zoe Saldina or Saldana or what, yeah, yeah. that's her name, right? <laughs> like are standing and CCH Pounder, right? Like fantastic actress. Totally wasted. Yeah. <laughs> totally, really wasted um, in this uh, uh, in this thing. But I hope it was a hell of a payday for her because she deserves <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, like, think, and yeah. no one no one deserves it more. And you know, at overthinking it, we like actors who work. <laughs> you know, so we don't begrudge you taking any job. You know, yeah. do a herpes commercial next, right? As long as it's a national. <laughs> and you get, you know. Do it as the cat person. The cat <laughs> well, right? Do they get a cat, cat herpes? I wanted, uh, and like, I wanted weird braid tentacle sex, right? Like, I didn't want, like, yeah, I didn't want, like, cuddling and necking and making out like, uh, like they were teenagers or something. I wanted, like, she's like, this is how we do it in the, you know, under the mother tree, right? Like, yeah. Full, full, full braid penetration. <laughs> braid on braid, you know, uh, tentacle, tentacle action. So you wanted to go like farther in the direction of cat boobs toward well, like nerd, like nerd internet <laughs> no, no, my point, my point was like, if you're going to do this, don't make yeah. them oh, essentially, don't make them essentially people, but with a little cat thrown in for exoticism. Like, right. you know, everyone's going on and on and on about how about you, you know, we created a language for this for this yeah. uh, made-up yeah. race. And my point is, well, how about you make up the race first? Yeah, you know? it, like, right, exactly. I mean, there's no reason for, like, why, like, for them to have, like, the secondary sex characteristics to be boobs. Like, um... Right, you know, right, 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 yeah, or, or, like, narrow slender waists or, you know, shapely bottoms or, you know, whatever whatever yeah. they have. Like, why, why do they look like a sort of exaggerated runway model, you know, with yeah. a funny nose? Right, it, no, looks like, again, it looks like Rebecca Romain in uh, the first X Men movie, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> a mystique or whatever. Yeah. She? Yeah. Again, I'd say that. I mean, the reason is well, you you have to have a movie, right? Like, I I too would have liked it if the aliens were more alien. Um, but I think that this is something that Pete got right on in his post, which is that if Pocahontas isn't a sort of sexually exotic other, then it stops being a Pocahontas story, and they wanted to make it a Pocahontas story. Okay, well, here's, here's the th- here's the thing. Uh, we're gonna, Pete. We're going to skip reason number two, which is Sam Worthington yeah. sucks, right? Yeah, because yeah, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, agree. Tom we don't need to hammer on that right now. We can. That's not that interesting. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Tom Tom I don't think he sucks. Actually, but, you know, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> this is the man who entered the Skynet VIP suite. 
You know. Well, I didn't. I mean, see, I didn't see. I think you guys are bringing in a lot of like extra rage from Terminator Salvation. And- <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some paratext. I didn't see that movie, and I I thought he was fine. <laughs> yeah, me too. I kept when Ryan kept telling me, "What is this uh, Independence Day? Like, what is this Jurassic Park?" I kept thinking about what the movie would have been like if Jeff Goldblum had been in it. And my conclusion was that it would have been worse. He's he's over old news. Old news. <laughs> I think it would have been awesome if Jeff Goldblum equals Will Smith plus <laughs> plus Jeff Goldblum plus you Bill said, You said that Sam Farthington equaled Will Smith plus Jeff Goldblum plus Bill Pullman all at the same time. And I thought that that was nonsense. Yeah, no, that is that is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome nonsense. It's <laughs> Avatar's going to tear us right, apart. Because, like, Sam Worthington <laughs> equals one of the... I, I really don't any Sam of what Worthington I'm Are you kidding? <laughs> equals one of the other pilots who gets killed in the first 30 seconds of Independence Day. You mean Harry Connick Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> you know... Anyway, we can move on from that. We can move uh, on from Okay, that. so John Smith Pocahontas stories suck. This was reason number one. And now it's time, I guess, to... Uh, now it's, now it's time, I guess, to, um, to talk about the politics in the movie, because like there's, and Pete, your objection here was that like the, it's the nature of this kind of story to, uh, it's the nature of this kind of story to turn out to, um, uh, uh, turn out to endorse the kind of status quo that it purports to undermine. Yeah, yeah. I think what I what I said was that it it's great for people who want to make a, a service to diversity because it shows you how people can get along when they're different. But it doesn't make an effort to try to change your prejudices or you know really challenge the way that you think about people who aren't like yourself well, and these, what you do other than have sex with them. Yeah, well, you know the, what I mean? <laughs> but not you know like human sex, not cool tentacle sex. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> where did the tentacles come from? Yeah, I think you're thinking of a little, a little movie called F3. <laughs> oh, gosh. There was no tentacles in F3. F3-3 there are. <laughs> but the, um, no, no, no. I, I mean, you know what I mean. I mean the braid tentacles. I mean the, yeah. uh, I mean the, the, the sea anemone, sea anemone, uh, kind of wavy filaments that that kind of stick out the braid, and that are how you connect to your horse. You know, yeah, the the USB cable. <laughs> yeah, the ca- fire yeah. wire. The, yeah, the, um, <laughs> you know what I was saying. Um, you know, they have that big thing. It was like these people don't want anything we have. I was thinking what we could give them to get them to move off of that uh, that stockpile is give them iPods that hook up to their braids, man. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so this is something where like, uh, like Ryan's Ryan's point about the poo poo platter of you know various indigenous you know signifiers of like nativeness or like you know pre industrial. Uh, indigenousness from all over, from uh, you know, from American Indians to uh, you know, to various parts of Asia to Africa. And I mean, the big, the big one, the big one for me was uh, was Africa, like with all the drumming. You know, it's and, a little. It went a little Lion King at one point, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where they're all to, though that that scene reminded me of the cult scene at the end of Young Sherlock Holmes, right? Where they're you know where everyone is chanting and kind of swaying, swaying back and forth. 
Um, that was one of the big. I mean, this this is a movie that did a number of really big crowd scenes, right? And they used the the uh, Weta software that was used for Lord of the Rings, which is called Massive for the big uh, for the big fights and things like this. But the two uh, the two like you know ritual religion uh, mind body meld uh, scenes, right? Those just look stupid with like everyone you know leaning back and forth at exactly the same rate and things like this. This was like you know this was like late mm. 90s CGI and not you know not the super not the super CGI but right like this this kind of poo poo platter of like branding them as uh, as other right as as sort of natives was was one of the things that that oh that I had a problem with right and it's like you know it's like hey they're cat people but they make out like humans right like it's 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 um, it's insufficiently realized. That but it's, it's even it's even more profound than that because their magic is real, right? Like they actually have magical powers, right? Or like they're related to this. Like they're biologically so different from people. But the other half of what Ryan was saying, like it would have been interesting if they looked less like people, but were sort of metaphysically like people, right? And they demanded the same dignity as people, and we didn't offer it to them. But in this movie, they're metaphysically very, very different from people. Like it's it's debatable whether death mm-hmm. is meaningful for them. You know, like we don't know what happens when a Navi dies. Like it's possible that that killing a Navi is well, actually no, not wait, there bad. Was, of a there thing was the one scene when uh, you know their spirit returns to Awa, right? There's the one yeah. scene where they're they're throwing the sacred seeds from the tree of knowledge or whatever it is on the um, on the person in the hole, right? And like you know, so the body, right? All energy is borrowed. So it's a you know, the, the, I think we have a you know we have a kind of reincarnation sort of uh, or sort of return to the source, you know, quasi Hindu, right? Like, but they're almost uh, like being envisioned as like being like cells of one body right rather than being like a distinct individuals they're kind of part of a larger like a larger organism right like yes, we are all like, individuals. But it, yeah but you can hear their voices through the trees right so are they are their consciousnesses preserved or um like because you can actually talk to them you right? can hear By, dead you can hear dead people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh and this isn't Incidentally, something that the movie says is different about them because Sigourney Weaver gets to be one of those dead people in the tree, right? Well, I guess, I guess so. I guess it's special about about their planet, not about them in particular. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. yeah, and and I mean, and maybe not even that. I mean, we don't know what happens to people when they die, right? I would say that what the movie is arguing, and this is the other place where it comes down hard against Cartesian du- uh, duality, because um, I mean, there's the. Did you mean we, to say Caucasian duality? Yeah, I totally did. Um, so, I think that whenever you have these movies, uh, like Fern Gully or and Captain Planet isn't a movie, but these things where you have the... He's right color. Yeah, he would have blended right in. Um, <laughs> but wherever you have, like, you have the polluters on one side, and then you have the environmentalists on the other, there is an epistemological conflict that's being dramatized there. On the one hand, you have the people who say that um, that you have the self, which is well-defined, and then the planet is this kind of undefined other that you can define yourself against. You're very separate from the planet, and it's okay to do things like dig up diamonds or unobtainium or whatever, because the planet doesn't really have any subjectivity, and it's just mm-hmm. like the background that you figure yourself against. And then you'll have people saying, on the other hand, no, no, like, we're all parts of Gaia, man, and uh, like the, 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 the division between your human existence and 
of the planet that uh, that sort of created all made out of the same carbon is an illusion that our society creates because it's convenient for us to think of that illusion. Now, what this movie does, which is interesting, but also intellectually dishonest, is that it makes up a science fiction scenario where the hippie, frou-frou, everything is connected thing is scientifically, provably the truth. Right. And then asks us to walk home and say, I want to stop slash and burn farming in the rainforest because of this science fiction scenario that I was presented with. It's kind of like the, uh, the space whale thing in, uh, in whatever Star Trek movie that is. It's like we should, we should not kill the whales because aliens will come and blow up the earth if we do. You know, it's not really <laughs> an effective way to convince people to stop killing whales. Right. Because it gives no, that yeah. because it, it what because it it it, 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 it uh, makes a case, but it's but it makes a case, but it makes an instrumental case, which upon any kind of scrutiny whatsoever does not hold up. Or, I mean, not even that. It's not meant to hold up under scrutiny. It's just it's a fictionalization. I have the same problem with those left behind books where they say we should all be Christians because in this science fiction novel that I'm writing, and they are essentially science fiction novels, you know, the Antichrist comes down and angels come down and fight him. You know, it, it takes uh, that epistemological question, does God exist, does God not exist? I don't think, I don't think the Antichrist it doesn't, doesn't have a lot of external validity, right? Like, yeah. it's like it's, well, no, it, it creates a fictional universe where the question is settled and then argues from that fictional universe. Well, what is, I mean, what is the status, you know, I don't know, what is the ontological status of narrative science? You know what I'm asking, right? Like, because once you once you make a movie about it, it's all metaphorical, to a mm-hmm. uh, you know to a certain extent. So the actual science, so with what in the what within the narrative world, the movie is actual science is perhaps to us not a, you know not actual science. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't follow. I don't follow what you're saying. I, I'm saying that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm saying that. The, the value of something within the narrative world is different from its value outside of the narrative world. Well, yeah, but I don't think that, I think that if the movie is expositional or expository, rather, if the movie is expository and it's trying to convince you to do something in the real world and it's not functioning artistically fundamentally, right, it's, it's functioning politically, um, huh. then whether or not its premises are externally applicable kind of matters, right? See, I mean, so do you think it's, uh, I, I actually didn't, I mean, do you think it's primarily the uh, the, the intent is to um, is to is to be political rather than like primarily artistic? I mean, I think it's doing both, but I think that there is a way in which it is making a political case, and we can talk about that political case on its terms, right? I mean, he makes a reference to the he makes multiple references to the war in Iraq in the movie, right? Right? Yeah, let's fight like, terror, like sh- fight terror with terror, the shock, shock and all. campaign, like oh, you know, if all you have to do is determine that somebody has a resource and you can go dig it up and do whatever you want to them. Um, I mean, he's it, it's very much saying like if you identify with this movie, if you feel for these characters, if you sympathize with these characters, then you should have my political stances, which I'm giving you hints about during the course of the movie. And I totally agree with Jordan. This is problematic because in real life, you know, we don't have any evidence that the trees can talk. You know, like we don't right, have any right, evidence right. that like the spirits of our ancestors are present in the natural environment and that by digging up minerals, it's somehow going to commit a crime against them. Right. Well, like, I would like, argue... I would argue that actually the movie is intended to be uh, purely entertainment, but that James Cameron is very savvy. He kind of has his uh, his finger on the pulse of what 
American moviegoers uh, think politically and what narratives they want to have reinforced. That like the political message that's in the movie is there as theater because you can go in there and watch it and feel good about that theater. Mm. But other yeah, than that, I agree. And, with and, you. and that I mean, it's just sort of. Yeah, what you've done is is neatly dispense with the the quote unquote irony that everyone is pointing out of you know an anti corporate entertainment being released by a major corporation, you know, 20th Century Fox News Corp, right? By saying that like anti corporate entertainment, like really, really, come on, you know. And I think I I, I think that that's right. I think that you're on uh, onto something there for what it's worth. But like, if people want to buy anti-corporate entertainment, the corporations will line up to sell it to them. Exactly. Because... Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it turns okay. out there is no tree thing that's going to summon the animals to fight the corporation. <laughs> like that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> like you can believe it in a metaphorical sense, and there's ways to believe it. But uh, I really don't think that they're going to tear down the drilling sites because like the birds are going to get commands from Gaia to go down there and peck out the eyeballs of the people on the offshore platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I it really, so, you have to be taking that literally. I mean, I, I, I guess we'll just have to see. Pete, you know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, um, maybe history will vindicate you. You know, can we talk maybe. about it's like, that? That's a can we talk you can't about prove it? Can't talk. Sorry. <laughs> Are you all done? <laughs> yes. Are you all quite finished? Can we talk about the political case that this movie makes on its own terms, right? Without without uh, reference to outside. Uh, events, right? Like there's a, uh, what's amazing is how there are no governments, right? Like involved in, uh, in mm-hmm. the, the human activities. It's like, it's like what the corporations have taken over as, as governments or something, you know? I was a little unclear about the relationship between the government and the mil- the military, the government and the mercenary forces. Right. Um, one of my roommates was was talking with me about this, and I get I didn't gather that. And this is part of like there's so much information that's thrown at you at the beginning of this movie, and it's hard to figure out what's important and what isn't. I didn't really gather from the beginning that they were making a very strong case that these people are mercenaries. I mean, I know that they were fighting for a corporate interest, but I wasn't entirely clear whether they were being paid to do it or whether they were part of a command structure. Like, is there an, a military officer above Colonel Cortez? who's telling Colonel Quartich, like, you need to secure this area. No, I think, all, like, I, think ex, I think they're all ex-Marines. I think all the military right. are all ex-military or on, you know, military hiatus or something like that, right? And the... Um, but they, but they it, still seem to have – they have ranks and they have chain of command but and they have like, Well, like I, I think it's like Blackwater, right? Like the, yeah. the, the idea being that like, you know... They you mean Jay. You mean Jay, right? Oh what? Yeah, whatever it call. Yeah, whatever you call it what it is because then otherwise they're going to trick us. But anyway, huh. <laughs> um, the you know the idea being that uh, that really their best recruits, their best employees, come straight out of the military because they can oh, yeah, capitalize yeah. on their training. When they largely right. borrow a military uh, model of organization. Yeah, it's like you know what? It's like the aerospace industry. You know, is like yeah, it, it was the American aerospace industry of the you know second half of the the twentieth century a, a military organization? No, it was a you know private corporation. But you wouldn't have known that to be in there because you know there were all these guys in buzz cuts, you know, marching around and giving each other orders and this this. A chain of command because because all the guys at you know whatever boeing or what have you they were all ex-military right like mm-hmm. that uh, anyway yeah. now, now ryan had a really interesting point about i think one of the more interesting and compelling political questions that this movie explores in like a meaningful way that isn't kind of a bait and switch uh, and that was when he was talking about the the Viberian state 
right, Ryan, when you were talking about um, the, the the role of the Vibarian state and how the different visions for how this these organizations, like I had I had brought up to, to, as by way of context, I had brought up how I didn't feel like. In this movie, the people who were the center of attention were actually making the meaningful decisions, and that it wasn't entirely fair that on one side you have like the political and spiritual leaders of an entire civilization, and on the other hand you have like a soldier who has a very specific subset of duty he must attend to, and who is not primarily concerned with matters that are spiritual or civilized. So like, right. I don't want people to judge my civilization and its spirituality based on its soldiers. And right, that's but like, Ryan jumped in with stuff. Right, and this is like a comment on. I mean, that adds to the very nature of sort of the like modern you know state organization is that there is it's both sort of hierarchical um, and differentiated, right? So that you have sort of uh, role differentiation between different uh, between different organizations, and sort of different parts of life are sort of parceled out into different organizations, um, and then you have sort of at each level, right? You have a model of sort of rational legal bureaucratic authority where you sort of you know you play your role in the machine and you answer to someone above you they answer to someone above them um and so it is like it's it's part of the state form but it you know even though the, the sort of relationship between the state and corporate entities and military is not clear it still is a very much a sort of high modernist like uh uh bureaucratic capitalist uh kind of apparatus as opposed to a more totalizing uh so political uh, organization. Right. And the, the point is that the, the Navi who have a different way of structuring their society and they don't they aren't as specialized or, or segmented like each individual Navi because of the way Navi society works seems to be fairly held fairly responsible for the full set of their moral choices, I would say. Right, mm -hmm. there's an expectation that you you can be a spiritual person, you can be a warrior. There don't appear to be any farmers, you know, like like all, like there's no there doesn't. No, they're hunter. An, they're a hunter gatherer. Yeah, they're society. hunter gatherer. There, there's not a need. There's not a pressing need or reality of, of specialization in their society, really. Like, there's the one guy who's kind of a warrior, but and there's a couple people who have titles, but but mostly it's non-differentiated. Um, right, and they're all and, and, kind of warriors, right? Because like the, some of the women yeah. are warriors too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 put that against the humans, where they have very specific jobs that they have to do. And I mean, right. does uh, does the guy? I forget what the guy's name is. The um, the guy who is in Friends, Giovanni Ribisi, is that his name? Um, or Matt LeBlanc. What? <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was actually, um, no, he wasn't. Uh, Giovanni Rubisi wasn't in Friends. Who is Giovanni? No, um, yeah, he Giovanni was, uh, Phoebe's, he brother. Was Phoebe's brother. Oh, okay. He wasn't one of the, one of the big six. No. He was Courtney Cox, actually. It was a <laughs> wonderful performance. Spoiler <laughs> um, alert! <laughs> but, like, he, like, what would happen to him if he just sort of told his bosses, like, you know what, like, we're really not going to get the unobtainium because there are these natives here and I'm really uncomfortable dealing with the situation. Like he would be replaced by somebody who would be willing to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, or if there, was, he, if there yeah, was some right. kind of government oversight, right? Like, uh, you know, they're, well, yeah, they're totally unchecked by, by any sort of really well, any right. sort of imperative. And I mean, they're, I, they're look, not, is this, they're, is, they're, they're not, they're not, Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I can't ahead, believe Matthew. I can't believe that you are a professional teacher. <laughs> at, well, like, at the highest level. That's, that's Go just, ahead and suspend your disbelief. <laughs> that is personally galling to me. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, come on. <laughs> the um, 
up. <laughs> is the I mean, is the point, and yeah, it's a, it's a ham-fisted point. Is it is it more of a medical uh, metaphorical point rather than rather than uh, presenting a, a coherently realized theory of of uh, you know future political science? Is, is it more that like, well, look, this is this is what our our society has been reduced to or will be reduced to uh, this kind of uh, this this single imperative. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I don't. I mean, because I don't think that's the point. I think the point is not to say this is what. I mean, the movie makes it sound like this is what white people are like, and this is what black people are like, and blue like we're people. different. It's like, it's blue like, blue for, like the difference yeah. between blue people and white people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like white people are all like do 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 do. I need natural resources, and then blue people are all like I'm gonna have sex in the woods, like do 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 do. And they drop like this in the tail butt. But um, in the head, a head tail, whatever it is. Um, but I, I think that, that uh, cat, cat bitches be hunting and gathering. Well, this is one of the problems with all John Smith Pocahontas stories: is that the people on John Smith's side who are making the meaningful decisions that are deciding what's going to happen with the relationship with these natives are not in the story, right? Which is which is one of the big problems with John Smith Pocahontas movies: is that it's like love conquers all, and love can traverse these things. Yeah, maybe if you were in love with you know, King George or what have you, but you're not in love with King George. You're in love with John Smith and John Smith can't do anything. He's, he has no power in this situation. Like, and in, in Avatar, um, mm. the, like Jake Sully has a certain amount of power, but mostly by virtue of his uncanny ability to master his cat body, like to a far greater degree than any cat person has mastered their cat body in three generations. Um, yeah. it, it, over the uh, course of several uh, weeks. That was something that, uh, that, uh, brought up in the comments, right? The, the mighty whitey problem. And that was yeah. really, yeah, 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 really exactly. Bad. Yeah. This is this is the biggest political problem of the movie for me, right? This <laughs> is the mighty whitey problem. Also known as the last samurai problem. Uh, <laughs> probably a few different names for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like. I guess like the replacements. No, no I'm trying to. Think, <laughs> what are some like less less controversial uses of it where it's like you show up and like you're going to show them all how to how to play soccer? I, I guess well, it's shell and soccer. Neo. Stuff. I mean, it's the, the, it's the Peace the... Corps. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I suppose theoretically there are there are cases where it's not the the white male who comes in and does this. Like take the movie Air Bud, right? Like he, he teaches them all how to play basketball, and he's a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Seventh Inning Fetch is another great example uh, of a hey, movie hey, like that. I right? think I have a title or for the podcast. Most valuable think, Friday. <laughs> what is it? Take the movie Air Bud. <laughs> what is it? James Cameron's Air Bud. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I think the reason why you have to have Whitey, Mighty Whitey in the movie is that otherwise Whitey doesn't have anything to do, and there's no reason for him to be the hero, because mm. like, because we're, unless you're actually interested in what actually happens to him, right? Unless we're actually interested in what happens to to, this, to Jake Sully. Right, and not as interested in what happens to the clash right. of civilizations. Well, right, but and that's, intense, yeah, yeah, and right? that's I think right. actually that gets. Yeah, this is this is, and I think that actually gets at what Ryan was saying, and that like it, this is a miniseries shoehorned into an action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You know or, a, I mean? or a or a comic book series shoehorned into an action. Sure. I mean, 
this is a problem that I had with uh, Watchmen, the Watchmen movie from earlier this year. Uh, also, is that it just it? I mean, it there, some of the like things translated to film well in that they, it was cool to see them, you know, moving. But the the you know the narrative structure of um of of, of Watchmen with all the little asides and the the sort of supplementary materials did not translate into a feature film. And I think that this. Um, it was, it was a similar problem. This is something, that. right, like, this is something, it's interesting, right? There there are a lot of technical breakthroughs, but the big technical breakthrough, which is that you go into a room and watch a movie and are totally passive about watching it, uh, that has not been bridged. <laughs> and, like, no. there's a, there are technological ways, uh, you know, that are coming down the pike that, you know, before we, that our children will be, will just assume that all entertainment is like this, where there are certain kinds of interactivity built into, built into ent- entertainment, right? Like, I think you mean it, like video games? Well, I, I mean like video games, but I, I think, but like, yeah, on yeah, math and in public or something. No, I mean like the, you, you mean know, like World of Warcraft. <laughs> I guess so. You're still on tracks too much in World of Warcraft, I think. But like, more like, you know, people were talking about Mist, right? When Mist came out first, <laughs> that it's, you know, like the, and this, I realize this is like what, fifteen years ago, ten, fifteen years ago. But that, mean, like, it's this. You totally, mean lost the video game? <laughs> <laughs> it's this totally immersive world, uh, and you can just you can just walk around and explore it. If you want Grand to. Grand Theft Auto 4. I guess so. Yeah, I, yeah. Guess Grand Theft Auto, I guess Grand Theft Auto 4. And if you just bridge the gap a little bit between Avatar and Grand Theft Auto 4, I think a lot of, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of entertainment is is going to be like that. You know, you know what I mean? In, in the, uh, uh, in, in the future. And so that like, so that, uh. I think there's a lot of this, and I guess, I mean, we haven't really talked about the technology or the 3D. Like, amazing, amazing, really great yeah. visuals. Can, can I say something about the 3D? There, uh, were only, Jordan? there were only one or two cheap uses of 3D in it. And I think the, like, the golf putter stuff was, that was, <laughs> that was pretty cheap. And there were a couple of things where, like, arrows were coming out of the guy and they were swinging around in your face. Other oh, see, that, I don't know. I don't think there was nearly enough of that. I thought 3D was used much better in My, my Bloody Valentine 3D than in, in Avatar. Jordan, uh, would you care to did you guys, that? Did you guys see that? Did you have the trailer for Piranha 3D before no. your... Uh, no. Uh, no. Well, Jordan and Ryan saw. Ryan told me you saw my bloody Valentine 3D in an empty theater, right? Like just I, I you two watching. I believe so. It yeah. may have been one or two other people there. Yeah. I, that was oh, awesome. Man. My bloody yeah. Valentine 3D is fantastic. I would say that there is there is a range of successful uses of 3D technology. I think that Avatar used 3D. It was really great because it wasn't super obtrusive. You know, for the most part, it just kind of like, you know, they, they used it to push certain moments a little bit and mostly it was sort of, you know, like like color cinema. It didn't have to be dramatic. It just sort of adds a little something. Yeah. My Bloody Valentine 3D is absolutely over the top in basically every scene, and that was nice too. What <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite movies like that is making a comeback, which is Captain EO, I believe, is yes. being brought online. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. There's a um, yeah. There's a great uh, 2D version of Captain EO that you can probably find on the internet by googling for it. Um, you know, uh, it's just oh, it's just. If, super. You, if you haven't seen Captain EO, and I hope that you have, but if you haven't, it's a it's a Michael Jackson space 
thriller directed by Martin Scorsese. Oh, no, the bad video was directed by Martin no, Scorsese. No, no, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, produced, Ford Coppola. produced by George Lucas. It, 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 Captain EO. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's like Michael Jackson in a dance fight against a spider woman. It's pretty And it's crazy. one of these... <laughs> <laughs> Played by Angelica Houston, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this, there's like there's like a, a, a whole chest full of Academy Awards behind yeah. this. Like, high wattage, high wattage <laughs> talent. All right, so uh, you know what to do. If you agree, disagree, violently, less violently, you uh, give us a call twenty eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Podcast at overthinkingit.com or you know finish the discussion in the comments on uh, the show notes for this episode. Uh, it remains for me to thank Mr. Peter Fenzel, Mr. Ryan Sheely for coming on, and uh, Mr. Jordan Stokes for gracing us with his uh, presence. And until next week, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject Avatar and all the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't deserve <laughs> Are we human or are we panther? And there's something else I have to bring up just briefly. So if the uh, the braid is his penis, right? Because she tells him if you play with that, it'll go blind. Right? Cut the cord. That business where that business where he has to fight the the sort of the giant bat into submission and then forcibly link with it is rape. Then right, right.